Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the GM Studio, podcast all about tabletop RPG hobbies, focused mostly mostly for the game masters. But players, you know we've been talking some good stuff that you should listen to. I think you should listen a little bit more. Come on in, subscribe to the show, write in, send it to Matt. I'm Matt, and I'm here with David. I am Dave. I am David. And on today's show, we got. Uh, we've got emails, we've got community questions, we've got a main topic of how to write that, that golden adventure, the one shot, the one that really drives them in, brings in that audience, as well as we've had our second installment of Curse of Strahd, which I like to call the never ending maze of the Amber Temple or whatever the fuck it is, uh, (laughs) as much as. Uh, I want to sit in the back and let everybody have their fun in the temple. Man, it just seems sometimes we we just go around in circles. Yeah, I kind of get that. Part of that's kind of fun, mm-hmm. though. Just allowing the players to kind of hash out what it is that they uh, they want to do, and. Yeah, we didn't really get through a lot. No, last there night. was a couple times I did. I had to mute myself because I was laughing so hard, uh, especially between Beto and Patrick. How, yes, we need to keep going. We need to keep going. Right. But let's be careful. Let's be very, very careful. Right. Careful, careful. So should we go? No, not yet. Okay. All right. We should go. Right. Yes. Yes. But we should be careful. Right. It's just like, oh, my God, guys, yeah. come on. What did we get through two encounters? We did, and both of them were pretty. They were pretty long. Uh, the first one, you know, we started in midst of combat, and that took yeah. an hour. And then uh, there was there was some actually very good role play for a while there, and then uh, that's when everything started. Kind of everybody wanted to really prep for the flame skulls coming up, and uh, that's when everybody started getting very weirded out. But it was very cool at the uh, the very end there. The of course, we all knew it that uh, the the traitor, or I don't really think he just turned traitor. I think he was just like, "Oh, fucking flame skulls, boom, fireball, run away." <laughs> yeah, there were some developments. I mean, I don't think anybody was surprised to learn that that guy that you found was not really on the up. Yeah, and up. yeah. There was a little bit of role playing. We had a, an exploration mm-hmm. encounter. You guys found a secret room and a couple of combat encounters. So overall, I think there was good balance in the session. We just didn't get through, like geographically, when you look at how much you progressed in the temple, it was very yeah. But when you stack combat encounters on top of each other, that's bound mm-hmm. to happen. Uh, I felt like it took me a little... I, I was kind of flustered because I was having a problem with my Discord initially, so I kind of took a while to kind of get in stride. But mostly last night for me was kind of more of a hands-off session. I felt like yeah. the previous session when we came back, I was trying to usher people back into the game. But other than kind of a recap and trying to play the the two NPCs, um, I didn't really have a lot to say or do descriptions during No, the battle, but, what, but maybe that's yeah. what it was because you had so little. Uh, when you did get into your flavor text, you got really into it yesterday. I could tell that you were a little bit more into the descriptions that you were giving. And it might've been because there was way less than there was last week. I think it helped too, that I'd kind of have more of a clear path of where the party is Mm -hmm. going. Previously, it was like we left off on a good cliffhanger where you were going down to the bowels of the, um, the bowels of the temple. But you guys didn't know, but I did, was that there was one encounter down there, and then the rest of the the bottom layer was choked Mm. off. So I didn't have a good idea, once you came back up, where you were going to go. Here, I I had charted out a little, like, okay, you're going this direction to this wing of the temple, so I know that these encounters are kind of... So that takes kind of a little bit off my mind, uh, and allows me to focus a little more, I guess for lack of a better word, being in the moment of kind of describing what's happening i felt like i kind of had a good amount of economy between districts description and trying to make sure that the battles were fast paced Mm -hmm. um tried to foreshadow a little bit and 
set a little bit of mood, but it was just like a little bit of everything. And um, although we didn't get through a lot, I felt like uh, there was a decent amount of dialogue among the characters that kind of shows more of a bifurcation mm-hmm. of the party. Patrick's kind of leadership and Beto's weighing in and Casimir is a NPC and Chris is trying to kind of pull him into the greater group. Chris was quite a bit more talkative last night than he has been in weeks past. I think his character is starting to come out of his shell. Very much so. Um, You know, we got a few demonstrations of um, displays of power. Uh, Chris used the Mesa Disruption last mm-hmm. night for the first time to great effect. Uh, that was then cool. it, uh, the chain counter spells were kind of kind of cool. How everybody came out was just like, yeah, we can we can do that. Even though two of two of the three people, just yeah, forgot. two of the three people that were counter spelling were NPCs, but it was still cool to see. I don't know that the the Vilnius guy actually cast a counter spell. I don't know. Beto did and Casimir yeah. did, but yeah, all Beto three of them did have twice. Casimir did once. That might have been it. But you guys were well prepared. That for was that encounter with the flame uh, yeah. skulls. Now that you, you before they they kicked your ass because they kind of came on you on a like surprised. You didn't know anything about them. Somebody actually deigned to do a goddamn check mm-hmm. on the flame skulls ahead of time to have some sort of idea of what you were getting in for, and you had experienced it previously. You were better equipped. The battle. Probably actually wasn't as challenging as you anticipated it. I was going to say that Um, the hill folk or whatever it was that we jumped back in with, that encounter mm -hmm. lasted another hour. And then the the flame skulls, if that was anything but 10 minutes, it could have been, you know, it could have only been like three more minutes. It was super quick. I don't know that it was super quick. The flames, the initial battle you guys were in was pretty... It was probably more like an hour yeah. and a half because they were just starting office space downstairs. <laughs> and then I went downstairs after the to to get a refill on whiskey. And it was like over. I was like, oh, shit, it's over already. And they're like, yeah, it was like an hour and a half movie. What do you expect? I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I'd been up for that long already. <laughs> so, but that was good. I feel like we're getting through um, laying the groundwork for the dynamics in the party. Uh, I'm trying to involve the NPC a little bit more and get into some of the more ambiance of the character motivations. Um, but the you guys are really into the thick of the the temple now, and so now it's going to be kind of in quick succession as you make your way through. We're going to get through it, and uh, unless we fucking stall out, yeah, no, like some random empty room could just stall out the party, and they just end up like discussing things for like. 45 minutes <laughs> okay but I, I think i need to let that happen rather than intervene uh because it's important to for party yeah, cohesion yeah. to allow to establish like who's in charge of what and where things are going and i know it must be difficult for you when you're kind of taking more of a back seat now because your character is mm-hmm. whatever yeah have some like uh emotional psychological things going on and to see them just like this racked with like, I don't know, like I'm trying to use the the sword too. like mm-hmm. I, I whispered to Patrick, the Sunblade is like whispering to him, like you're you're wasting yeah. time here. Like fucking move forward. Right. Like it's a. um, It's an item that has sentience. And so it wants certain things and it wants yeah, to it, move forward. And uh, I'm trying to kind of nudge Patrick with that. Yeah, it has bit. a goal and itself. I, it's actually been. I think it's been, yeah, it's, it has its own motives and goals. and But I think it's been fairly successful. Patrick's been kind of being a little more, like, involved in the game. So yeah. Cool. Oh, that is. Uh, I really wish, like, I can't say anything, but goddamn, now that they're actually talking more, I really wish. I don't know if it's my headphones or what, but I cannot. I can only understand Patrick, like, maybe 60% of the time. Yeah, oh, really? it's so hard, and I want to listen and figure it out, but everybody's, yeah, everybody's uh, audio is not exactly the greatest, and I really want it to be better now that everybody's talking. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not having trouble hearing people, so that that probably is a big benefit. Yeah. But yeah, I think I'm just player, being an OCD like, stickler. Of... It's just like, why can't you just have good audio? I have good audio. Why can't you want to hear? But that's just me. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it could be your... Like you said, your headphones or something, but I, 
because it's really weird that I will be able to hear them, but you can't. Um, Also, I think I'm just deaf, so I can't stand, I can't do with mumbling and the, yeah, the way that the audio Uh, is, it's hard for me to really cut everything. Well, and Chris has kind of like a crackle to the way Mm -hmm. he talks, um, where he has like this kind of. Yeah, because, uh, you know, because, like, uh, like uh, you know, maybe this is, like, really not uh, whatever the thing. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, yeah, I'm you know, like, I mean, just, like, no action. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Um, but he's got that kind of run-on sentence crackle mm. to him. And I can see that if, if you're not keyed into that, it makes it difficult to yeah. follow what it is he's and, saying uh, sometimes. Chris, buddy, I know if you're listening. Don't worry. You're not metagaming. You don't have to bring it up all the time. You're doing great. You're doing fantastic. Strangely, the the most metagaming he does is drawing attention to the fact that he yeah. thinks he's metagaming. Yeah, you're doing great, bud. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think it's it's playing out in some interesting ways. I'm kind of curious to see how things are going to go with some kind of confluence of, of different character decision Mm. points here at the culmination of the adventure but uh, i'm just going to try to focus on letting the running the npcs and allowing the players to kind of take the reins and uh, hopefully that doesn't end disaster yeah i think that's a smart move for you right now anyway with how big all the locations are going to be getting as well as the npcs and other things that you're going to be running pretty soon it's probably smart stick to the sword We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I don't know. It was uh, probably not as good as the first session back, but I mean, you're probably. No, the first session back was great. I love the first session back. Yesterday it did. It just seemed to drag uh, for me. A little bit. That's all it was. But I love the ending. I thought you kept saying, oh, you know, bad ending, not on a cliffhanger. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Rather than get into something, it was kind of an interesting. Uh, kind of close the door on that mm-hmm. plot, right? You're that whole the killing the Vilnius or whatever, close the door on that. And so it's like now that that whole plot arc of like helping him and like his master or whatever is really just a now you're back to you're in this area of the dungeon that you've cleared out and you're on your own accord now exploring on your own accord. I, I couldn't help but think that, like I went back to Beto being like, well, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I'm not, I was like, I could take like Victor. And it was like, I don't think so, like I was, he, I'll throw a smite on that. It's like, dude, he just caused 45 points of damage to this guy in one turn. <laughs> like, that's not, and that wasn't even like a stretching his resources. Like, that's like a sort of, it, now that Chris has the Mesa disruption and Patrick has the Sunblade, it's like, that's going to be, devastating for mm-hmm. undead so which is, is probably needed because you guys are kind of like on a knife's edge as far as like health and hit dice oh, and God. so yeah you're... we'll see how that plays out but um you know as it as it does play out i suppose but maybe we a community yeah, question let's go on you know, we'll uh, move on to the community email, questions go ahead and give it. it a roll dave sure all right let's see there I'm going to roll a digital die this time. And I get a 10. 10. Oh, boring. <laughs> what, you want more? I don't know. I don't know how one number can be boring over another number, but... Yeah. All right, let's see here. Ooh. Don't do it. Yeah. Just don't do, do it. Don't this do it. Thing doing uh, so this one comes from Eris the Heretic. Uh, wanting to know, how do you get over a dead campaign? I started up a campaign just as COVID hit in 2020, and I went all in with a huge, epic storyline. We were a pretty tight-knit group, and one of us, oh, and none of us had any family in town, meaning that we became each other's closest company during the pandemic, and we played almost every week for months. The The RP between the players was really great, and sometimes it got pretty emotional. I had stories and subplots and big plans for each of the characters, I created a really immersive world with countries and cities and myths and history and a rich gallery of NPCs. My players absolutely loved it. I spent so much time designing people and places and happenings in my head. And to be honest, 
The characters became really dear to me. I think my players felt the same. Then life happened. The campaign was first put on pause. Then at some point I realized that I won't start up again. I will not specify why, but because of some of the players' personal reasons, there is no repairing the group. They're all sad about it, but the campaign is dead. I know this happens more often than not. As a GM, you have to be prepared for your campaigns to be cut short and for various reasons. That's really the reality of it. I feel a bit silly, but the thing is, I let myself fall in love with the story and the universe I have created, and now I can't get over it. I think things got extra intense because of the isolation we experienced. Our campaign became a kind of life lifeline for a while, and maybe it got too big, and I'm still obsessing over it. So, dear other GMs, what do you do when a campaign you love dies? It's a very long-winded way to preface yeah. a question, <laughs> and there's a succinct answer, and that probably succinct answer plays into why this particular DM is upset. He's not upset that the campaign has ended. He's upset that he's lost some friends and that that connection is no longer mm-hmm. there in a shared common bond and a common interest, which is the reason we all play games, to be frank. So it's really not about the campaign. This is a question that's not really about the campaign in mm-hmm. particular, but it, I mean, as way of an, a way to answer both, I guess, I would say try to really understand, instead of fixating on the thing that you've lost in the same way if you like break up with a woman or a dude if you're into that um rather than making that the end all be all of a relationship you should try to understand why you were so into this person and why you were so invested in this campaign and if it really has to do with the loss of these people in particular and the connections that you had with them then I hate to break it to you, but that's just kind of yeah, life. Yeah. You, know, you just you can't really control other people and make them be part of your life if they don't want to. But if you can tease apart what it is that made the campaign valuable and made it so dear to you on the face of it, then there's no reason why you couldn't recreate that with another group. Maybe with some of the players that you had had previously, but um holding on to the past and this nostalgia the gloss that comes with it is is not good for you you need to try to understand why this meant so much to you and accept that it's no longer a thing and if you want to continue to game try to figure out why it was important to you if it's some interpersonal things like it came at a moment in your life when you were lonely and isolated i don't think the solution lies in asking other gms you probably need to talk to some family or yeah. close buddies or, or a therapist. Yeah. If you That's ask us really that, that, that question, be... it's just write it down, run it for another group. Yeah. You can't, you can't handle that with like the game. No. Mechanics. You can't recreate um, in the same way that people do this a lot with uh, retro video gaming, right? Like the old cabinet consoles, like they just try to recreate that nostalgia of, you know, playing Pac-Man at the arcade. And it's like, well, I mean, I like Pac-Man too, but I don't really think that's what you want. I think what you want is to be 16 again and to be without a care in the world and to be able to spend your time at the arcade and like, and and you're not going to get that from a game cabinet. You know, (laughs) you're just, you're not. And uh, as unfortunate as that is, if, if that's what's happening, then I, and I think you have a deeper problem other than your campaign. There's really no tactics to getting over a mm. campaign. If something is meaningful to you and you care about it, then, you know, it should always have a special place in your heart. But that doesn't mean you need to dwell on it or lament it or mourn it in any way. Like, it's over. It's done. It's a game. And you shouldn't be taking it too seriously. Uh, and if you are, it's probably because you have some other issues going on that don't really involve role playing. Mm-hmm. Try to figure out what it is that you loved about the campaign, what made it so special, and try to recreate some elements of that with a different group. And if you can't do that, then maybe maybe you're holding on to some things that really are outside the scope of, of yeah. DM. And if it is uh, a narrative thing, if it was the the world and everything that you created about it, hold on to that. Like I said, write it down. Make it lore of another game that you're about to create with new people so that you still have that nostalgia in the background while doing it but yeah i think with that yeah that's a good that's 
that's a good tactic, like, you know, some Easter eggs or whatever, maybe hearkening back to it, especially if you have any of the same players, maybe it'll kind of. Oh, yeah. See, there I'm you like, go. Oh, I remember those days back in the day. But yeah. Anyway. That is a little bit more. I hope we could answer that question. Not a therapist, but we try. Yeah. You know, not a therapist. We need, you need a little, you need some counseling more than you need a GM. All right. You want to hear a, an email? Uh, got an email here from Jeremy. Absolutely. Who hopefully it's not as whiny as that last one. <laughs> not really, because uh he wrote in to just let us know how much he's loving being back behind the GM screen. Fucking Jeremy bitch. writes, after a long hiatus, I got back behind the GM screen. We did have a fifth player join and we picked up with session 22 of my long running campaign. It was a role play heavy session with zero combat. My players were eager to revisit old plot. Plot threads, role play with NPC companions, and play with some new magic item toys. But sitting down, there were several things clear about why I got so why I got so excited, and I want to know if you would too. One, I had refreshed myself after about a year out of the GM seat. I was feeling fresh. I did voices. I rolled with anticipated changes to the process, and I improvised very fluidly because I was just as eager to be on the side of the GM screen as my players were. Number two. Three of my five players have GM for me in the last year. It really shifted the attitude I had to one of one of taking a turn rather than feeling stuck. I also felt confident because my friends are also good at GMing, but all different on their own ways. I had I had seen this group of people enjoyed and celebrate the gifts of the three other GMs so that I knew my different strengths would also be appreciated and fine. I didn't feel any performance pressure. And three, I was prepared to improvise. I had more random tables, mostly for weather, that I felt confident more at ease than I often have in the past when I roll into sessions ready to ready to fly by the seat of my pants. It worked, but I felt more relaxed and more flexible when I had prepared enough to improvise. This is especially true given that I GM for chaos monkeys who change directions with little, little notice. I hope some of these ideas help you feel ready to get behind the GM screen again as well. What do you think, boys? Did I do a good job? Thanks for the email, man. I can relate to at least a couple of those mm. points. Probably not the third one as much. I um, I've, I always give myself a little bit of latitude to to improvise. But to your your second point, I we go on the show frequently about how more people need mm -hmm. to GM to kind of understand what that's experienced. Like if you had a group of all GMs, I think your whole the whole situation would run a lot smoother uh, in the same way that former actors often make the best directors because they understand the actor's experience. Everybody should probably try their hand at GMing a little bit. And I think it breeds uh, camaraderie and respect. And actually to our previous discussion about alternating GMs can establish uh, what makes you unique as a GM, you know, uh, you're, alternating gms with somebody or whatever like you can appreciate that although you're striving for some sort of cohesive plot maybe your thing is doing like you said doing voices mm -hmm. or maybe your thing is vivid description maybe your thing is coming up with clever puzzles and once you suss that out you can appreciate the other things that other gms do well and you can learn from them and they can learn from you and everybody is improved and you can also revel and maybe you don't do good characterization of NPCs. Maybe you really enjoy when your other buddy does that. But your first point really resonates with me more than that's anything, what I was going to say. Uh, coming from experience right now, well, at least Dave did. Uh, I think I told talked about it last episode about how you came back and you felt ready to go. Everything you said, mm -hmm. and every, you know, I thought you were going to, it was going to take a bit to get back into it, but Dave went right in after Jesus, what, three, four months? Three, three and a half months. Yeah, it was before Christmas. Mm -hmm. So it's easy when you GM a lot and you're the perennial GM for your game for it to kind of start to feel like a slog. It starts to feel like a responsibility. Yeah. And I've gone back and forth where it's like, Plenty of times I just kind of phone it in and tap it in. And so sometimes you do need kind of a break to recalibrate and to kind of miss it. And it's like dating somebody. You spend every day, all day together. And it's like you never have time to miss each other. And one of you goes on vacation or something to that effect, work trip. 
and you get time to miss each other. And that's good because it allows you to refocus and not look at it like it's some sort of responsibility you have, some sort of thing that you're phoning in. You're actually eager mm-hmm. to play um, to get back into it and to get the different aspects of it. And your players are eager and and anticipating you're that's the only drawback to having like a regular campaign that meets the same time every week for a long time i encourage people at least once or twice a year to take a few weeks off um normally that just happens naturally because players shit just happens where they can't make it and so you're always going to kind of have like a week off here and there but if you've been going at it for more than say three or four months uh every week at least once a week for a few hours you know, it's worth it to take a week or two off just to oh, totally miss it and recalibrate and, and come back to it with renewed enthusiasm and freshness, especially uh, if, if you're starting to get a little beleaguered with, with how things are going. Yeah, especially if you were the GM of the game. If you're running it and it does, you can start to feel that slog that David was talking about. It's time that you you do. You just need a recharge. There's so much. There's only mm-hmm. so much you can set up for the game get ready you know make everything happen and like that every single week that same day for that you know four hours every day or every week uh you just need it you need a vacation from everything so mm-hmm. yeah definitely need a time to recharge just take two three weeks off you know take that one month off and help get your creative juices working again because that's what happens to me is I get to a point where I just stop and then I have a problem thinking I can come up with a scenario for them to do, but where does it go and how do I get there? And that's when I start doing dumb shit and making the game just not interesting anymore. Cause I'm just trying to get to this one thing that I rolled up earlier. I have a tendency just to kind of go through the motions in a mechanical way. Uh, as opposed to trying to make each moment and each interaction alive in some way. I'm just trying to kind of go through it and and uh, be more of a referee than a storyteller. Mm. And there's times when you should do that, but if you take some time off, you have a decent amount of time to kind of just forget entirely about gaming and you put it out of your mind. And then if you're, you know, that takes like, you know, like a week, it's just nice to put it out of your mind for like a week Mm -hmm. week and a half. And then if you go past that, you know, like a week, a week and a half, then you have some time to kind of, you haven't thought about it. And maybe, maybe you start to pick at it. Maybe you saw, maybe you're watching Vox Machina or you saw the trailer for the new D and D movie or some sort of comic book, or you're playing Skyrim or something. And it gets, now it gets you kind of like thinking about D and D, but not fixated on the game itself and then you know push past that a little bit and you get hungry like ah yeah i'm really you start thinking about it more and and maybe you start picking at the game and then by time you come back after you know a month off or whatever you're like eager Mm -hmm. to get back into it you know because you got that itch and if that itch doesn't ever come back then maybe you really need to reassess whether you playing is for you but i think if we just like us you've been playing games for long enough I mean, I took a hiatus from D&D for several years while I was in college. I don't think I played for two, three, four years while mm-hmm. I was in college. Um, and it wasn't until I got married and, like, uh, strangely enough, Matt got me back into to play in D&D. Uh, visited Ann Arbor and he got me back into it. But I didn't play for several years. And that was when I did come back, I did come back with a renewed uh enthusiasm i mean some of it was kind of arduous because it was like starting in a new edition and i had to learn a bunch of new <laughs> stuff so you don't want to take too much of a hiatus like that but but brief punctuated hiatuses can make your your enthusiasm and vision for your adventure seem more focused and more lively for your players it's worth doing every now mm-hmm. and again even if circumstances don't call for it yeah and you want to talk about uh the hiatus was from us playing second edition and then he started back up with fourth edition. If you want to talk about a mm-hmm. totally different whole shebang, whew, wow. Totally. Yeah, Completely really different. different. Totally yeah, Jeremy, different. Uh, glad to hear that the that the break was good and 
thank you for bringing it up because that is something that everybody should do, especially if you're running the game. If you're lucky enough to have somebody that wants to do something, that's great to fill in those gaps. But honestly, even the players, they do. They like to have some extra time to to say, no, nah, nah, not, not tonight. It's nice to do. But let's see. All right. So, Dave, going into more scenarios here, you have a group coming up. Uh, say it's me. You and I, we're going to be putting together a new group bunch of people that really haven't played at all. They've heard about it. They want to play D&D. You know, what's this all about? So, hey, you know what? We'll run you through a one-shot. That's where it all starts. Mm -hmm. What is it in the one-shot that helps draw people in? And that's what everybody wants to know because a one-shot could be one day. It could be four days or four, you know, uh, game nights. But uh, for that one what are some of the big topics and things to put into the one shot to help draw those people in? It's probably different if it's new players entirely, uh, as opposed to more experienced players. Sometimes a one shot is just a, a break from your regular campaign. Somebody can't make it or whatever. So I think that's a different animal, mm-hmm. but for new players, I think it wants to act as uh, like a sampler mm-hmm. platter. You know, you go to Denny's or whatever, and you get the sampler platter. It's got fries, it's got onion rings, it's got chicken strips, it's got mozzarella sticks, you know, a little <laughs> bit of everything in there. And it's pretty good. Yeah, you get a few sauces. And I think that's what you want to strive for when building a one-shot, which is it's pretty likely that you're giving the characters... Um, already complete characters mm. pre-gens as you were previously generated characters that was going to be one of my and, questions later should you do a one shot with pre-gens or should you give them the 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 experience of making their own character i i go back and forth mm. about this and, and i'll just answer that now as a as a maybe you have mm-hmm. different thoughts but my perspective is that pre-generated characters are better for a one-shot because what they do is my first pillar point was going to be you want to give the players a sample of what it is the game can do and you want to give them an understanding of what the archetypes of characters Mm -hmm. are so that includes a party dynamic right you want to have a prototypical version of a class like this is a prototypical ranger new characters new players likely they want to get a taste for what it is that a ranger fighter rogue wizard does and so what they need from you is as a gm you can kind of build a character that is like the quintessential mm-hmm. version of that and that's good because it allows the characters to see the quintessential version of something and you should do that. It should be a quintessential version of something for a new player. This is a fighter, the defender fighter, the striker fighter. This is a rogue, you know, kind of the assassin rogue or the, the, the thief rogue and, you know, prototypical things so that they know when they can, what a deviancy is from that. So I err on the side of pre-generated characters for that reason. And the second reason is that when, when for a one shot, you don't want the players too invested in the characters they mm-hmm. make and and that's good because they're you know they're prototypical which means they're going to be a little stereotypical yeah, very... they're going to be archetypical mm-hmm. and so that's good because you're fixating on the mechanic and the role of the character as opposed to the personality of the character and for a one shot you probably don't have a lot of time to really develop a character's personality you're just kind of playing around in the sandbox of what the classes can do what the different races are like and, and it's probably fun for the characters, the players, to simply play someone that's like really stereotypical, you know, like that, that can be fun. It's not fun over a long arc because you want to suss out some sort of maybe deviancy from your, the, the prototypical identity. But for a one shot, you're really just, it's a right, sampler platter. Maybe yeah, you have a different thought We're here about to that. play the game, to check out the game, not just character creation. So here, like you said, here's some cookie cutter characters 
You know, I drew pictures of them. Choose the picture you like the most. You only like that one? Guess what? You're the wizard. <laughs> do do you allow character like in one shots for new players to create their own characters? Because it seems like you just get caught in the weeds. Depending stuff, on the really, it's focused yeah. on the dungeon on the plot. And I usually don't like it because I'm the same way. I'm like, hey man, we're here to play just this quick game. We're not here for a long mm-hmm. campaign. This is going to be a one and done. There's no real reason, and I've kind of made these guys around this sort of thing. You know, I plan mm-hmm. on just doing a dungeon delve, so these guys are very dungeon delvey. I don't need you coming in here yeah. and, you know, trying to make my character that I play in Curse of Strahd, where you're just a very, oh, you don't call me a bard. I'm not a bard. Well, on your character sheet, it says you're a bard. I'm no bard. Don't be that guy. Matt plays a bard that doesn't play any musical instruments or perform. Yeah, I don't give way. bardic inspiration. Nope. You you did once, like once or just twice. once. Yeah, what's because I use it for my that? my blade things. I'm a College of Swords. Oh, you! I forgot you can use it. Flourishes. You can, you can expend them for other yeah. things. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, I'm not a bard. I'm not here to. I'm, I'm a duelist. I'm not. I'm not here to help yeah, you. Exactly. And so that's a unique character yep. thing, but that's uh, fine for a long. I, so yeah. so you you err on the side of that too, the pre generated characters for a one shot. Oh, definitely one hundred percent. I'm really not a fan of. I don't even like when I sign up for one shots, and people just put in there, go ahead and create your own character. I'm just like, oh, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know if I like that. I'm just creating a prototypical version of whatever it is, really quick and dirty. I can do that in like 15 yeah. minutes with D and D. What are uh, so? What would you say? Okay, so now that you have the character element down, what would you say are the bigger, um, what should you strive for when you're having a one shot? You're putting mm-hmm. it together for uh, the, that sampler platter. What is it that your, um, what elements should be in that adventure? I yep. have some ideas about that, but I, I believe in the four first. pillar structure. You need engagement be a player and NPC or player and player. Uh, you need good action. You need at least one puzzle and then you need uh downtime or something where they can actually realize how role-playing can really affect the world, even for just short scenes. Mm-hmm. And like for a one shot, I just like to give them a time like that. My, one of my favorite ones, and I've done it with Dave a lot where it's the downtime or it's traveling and um, you know, I take this from Savage Worlds to pull the card and you ask, or I just say, uh, at this time you're walking through the woods, it's afternoon. You can start to see his leaves are falling. Uh, the autumn will be here in a couple of weeks. What's going through your character's head right now, just to let them help them get in there, you know, get into their own head for a little bit. Uh, but those are the, like the four pillars that I have to have in a one shot. I never heard it broken out. Like in that like sort of like four pillars but i think that um that's not that far off from what i would yeah i think that for, came from because i've done so many conventions now that all the conventions they have like their big they have their little uh pamphlet that they give you that's saying if they don't run if they don't have an adventure for you to run like if you have to write your own they say this is what we want mm-hmm. them to do while in the game so can you put some of this stuff in there? I think that's where I got that from makes it. sense. Yeah, I, I strive for, in particular, if I'm I'm coming up with a one shot, one, I think there needs to be a clear delineation of the conflict mm-hmm. and the resolution of that conflict. So for a one shot, even if it's three or four sessions, I mean, you could say one shot, but what we mean right. is one off yep. campaign. Um, it's not necessarily one session. It could mm-hmm. be three or four, but it there should be a clear uh, catalyst to the drama. Even if you're just starting with your characters are like at the entrance to the dungeon, you should give them some exposition as to like why they're here and what the conflict is. Then a rising action to some sort of like culmination and then a resolution of that and what it means for the characters. I look for that plot arc should be contained even just in the in the one shot. It shouldn't just peter off or fizzle out. Two, I would say that having variety of encounters is important. You kind yep. of alluded to yep. this, but in general, yeah, I would want 
if you're only having a small dungeon, maybe in a larger campaign, it could be a small dungeon that's just super combat heavy or like the Tomb of Horrors, it's super puzzle heavy. But in a one shot where it's just this this one plot arc, if you're trying to give the player some sense of the available variety in the campaign, you need to have at least one or two traps on top of one and two in combat encounters, at least one or two puzzles, probably some sort of role playing, some sort of exploration, and then maybe some sort of like weird thing that doesn't really fit neatly into any of those other encounters, but is just kind of like a you know, a bizarre encounter, mm -hmm. probably like one of those. And then if you do like one or two of each of those, you know, you have a 10 or 12 room dungeon then you know, some, some fighting, some exposition, some exploration, then the players get a good sense of these are the available options and you're giving them a little bit of everything. And then it's good feedback for which aspects of the adventure that they enjoy. And when you design a more comprehensive campaign with a more tailored character, then you can kind of give them what it is that they want. I think the same goes for uh, rewards. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Try to have like something, a little bit of everything in any given dungeon. You know, have some sort of like cool items, but then some gold and maybe some some glory to be had as it ties into the plot. Don't just make it super cut and dried. If you make it too stereotypical, um you might lose the players, mm. but as a general rule, I think I err on the side of making it kind of like kind of a cliche more than anything. Have some NPCs that are lively and interesting. If you're going to have role-playing encounters and um, do all of those things and all of those components, then it shouldn't require a ton of work on any given one. Just try to make sure you're giving them a smorgasbord of stuff so those those would be my i don't know if you want to call them pillars but uh um my foundation for establishing what a what a good one shot is what what do you think would you agree with the assessment that the goal of a good one shot is to give the players a flyover and a taste of what it is the camp the game itself is about or do you think it has other goals that are not necessarily encapsulated by no that. i think um i think it is i think the majority when i think one shot it's usually for somebody's first time be it a new system or if they're just mm -hmm. new to role playing in general uh so yeah it is it's a flyby check you know just to throw them in there throw them in and see this little bag of fun that we can create <clears throat> and i was just thinking I have, I want to ask you if you did this like back in the day when you got Jen and Dason into it, um, like their very first time I've noticed whenever I bring in a new system or if I just bring in new people that have just started role playing our first session or the one shot that we do, I have the, I have the players roll way more dice during that time than throughout any other campaign that I've done, like long form campaign. Hmm. And do you, do you, did you ever do that? You mean just kind of solidify in the players' minds that like the dice are the mechanism, yeah, or by just which you not even the game through realizing chance? it, but you're just asking for a roll for like almost everything. I probably do that a little more for um, new players, and what that is is this kind of goes back to our giving mm -hmm. permission when a player asks a question. My response might be to roll a certain skill and what that ostensibly does i think is solidifies in the player's mind oh i can actively you know you say oh well uh do i get any any idea from him as to whether like uh he's upset you know this this guy's barkeep is upset by the fact that we're taking up the you know being kind of rowdy and they're like well do an insight mm -hmm. check for me yeah and I think what that does is it gives the player permission in the future to be like, I'd like to do an insight check on yeah. this guy to see if he is upset. And so what you're doing is you're, you're, you're kind of setting the parameters and the rules for the player because it's always better for the player. Chris mm -hmm. does this, uh, our player, Chris Davis. He's like, oh, you know, I'd like to do like this check. He's, he's so much better about that than he used to be. And it's like if your DM is not going to require it, well, you know, I don't really need to check for that. Yeah. You know, 
you would just know this. You're trained in Arcana. You're a man of the cloth. This is just information you know, but you appreciate the concept that they're kind of like trying to make use of their skills, which is taking more of an active role in the game. And the biggest thing that new players don't do is they don't take mm-hmm. an active role in the game. They take a very passive role. So I think your instinct about requiring roles or not requiring asking for roles in the early going kind of does that. But I think if you do it too much, you give the players this kind of like thinking in mechanical yeah. terms as opposed to thinking in more like abstract creative terms. So I think it can go too far where a player feels like if they don't have a skill or a specific spell for a specific thing that they're it's basically out of bounds for them to do. Um, so I don't know. I don't remember the last time I ran a new a new system. We've been playing yeah. 5e for, for so long and all the people that I played 4e with are basically long gone at this point. But yeah, I think it, uh, so I don't have a recollection if I did that. I but. think me doing that is because um, Dave and I had this thing for fucking years of. He, he told it to me once and it stuck with me so hard. I don't know why at the point where I kept saying, can I make a roll for this? Can I roll this? And Dave would just say, I don't know. Can you just tell me what you want to do? Yeah. If you want to roll something, just yeah. say, I want to roll this and just go ahead and do it. Cause I will always have an answer for you. And for some reason, or, or at the very, at the very least, just question like, what would I need to roll if I wanted to right. do X? If anything, yeah, you know, and sometimes it was just you saying, you know, you don't, I, need you know don't ask me if you can roll, just go ahead and do it. And I will either tell you the role to do, or if you just say you want it, like you said, can I, you know, I'm going to, I want to do an insight check on this guy because I think blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, great. Yeah. Go ahead. Because taking command over your character and ownership over your character is one of the biggest hurdles if, if you're not familiar with role-playing games then you you might not necessarily have that you feel like you're more of a passive participant and so anything you can do that allows characters players god i keep saying characters instead of players today <laughs> uh, allows players to take ownership mm-hmm. of their characters and be more actively involved in the plot is a good thing and i think that's probably the goal one of the goals of a one-shot is to build that foundation especially if the players didn't create the characters then they're not invested in the characters in a way that might be um they might be if they built the characters themselves so it's almost like it kind of exists in this simulation where it's like uh i think of it like the beginning of any video game and you're like you know, there's like this area that usually is like closed off from the rest of the sandbox world where you learn Yeah, the skills. training grounds, the training grounds. Right. And that's kind of like mm-hmm. what a one shot is for me is it's a it's a training grounds to allow players to kind of suss out how the mechanics and the dynamics of a character archetype works without really being super invested. And this is how you run a fighter. Mm-hmm. Here is their role in the party. Here are their capabilities. Here's how I would go about doing that. Because, frankly, the whole concept of role-playing in the the acting kind of character-driven sense that we mean it is really secondary to the whole role-playing in the you're playing a role right. in a game. Mm-hmm. That is That should be paramount. And I, I love the acting and the character-driven stories that come along, but you can and should be able to run a game that really... It isn't really any of those mm. things. It's just kind of like archetypes and the, the players are fighting monsters and crawling through the dungeon. That needs to come first before you can really take it to the to the next level. And some campaigns never really do. Some campaigns just kind of stay that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, you, if you get too far into the weeds the other way around by allowing characters to... Players <laughs> to build their own characters get really invested in like have this whole character backstory and back arc and everything without really knowing like the, just the fundamental basics of how the game works and the, the dynamics between certain types mm-hmm. of roles and all, all their characters are like, have these super like esoteric, like, well, I'm like, you know, I'm like a gnome barbarian, but like, I'm like a smart, like intellectual barbarian. It's like, dude, you're, you're deviating mm-hmm. too much with this character concept. You don't even know like how a prototypical barbarian runs. Here's one run through it 
see if that's something you like. If it is, feel free to deviate and like get creative with it. But you need to, to me, it's kind of like learning to drive a station wagon. You would never hop in a Formula One car and like tear around a fucking track, like a high performance car without like learning to drive like a station wagon first, right? It's like, and you need to do that. And I think that's what the the goal of the one shot is, is to to give you the station wagon. Very much so. Um, Okay. So we're going to bring out, I've got my big book of one-shot tropes over here. Flipping okay. through it. This is fun already. Um, what is your go-to trope, Dave? Artie, would you? Because mine, mine recently has always had to do about, um, oh, fuck, 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 uh, reputation. Um, especially if we're doing medieval fantasy. Uh, because, yeah. of course, the great thing about a one-shot is you do a dungeon delve. Dungeon delve is always a great yeah. go-to. And my big thing recently is kind of like a yawning portal situation where you go to a, mm-hmm. the Adventurers Guild and they have a dungeon beneath the guild. And if you want to join, just say, well, we've got a challenge for you. At the center of this maze is this artifact. And if you can get it, your names will be so recognized that you'll be going on all sorts of adventures. Uh, so that's been my mind recently. Uh, what about you, Dave? What would be your tr- main trope that you go for? I hardly ever use that trope, and I think it's because it kind of gamifies mm. the character's reputation, and I want something that has emotional stakes in it. So I'm a big fan of the uh, the rescue somebody trope. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I like the rescue someone in I'll tell you what, that's probably like trope. my fifth. I don't know why, but that's like my fifth okay, one. Yeah. Are, is yours more? Um, uh oh. Well, no, you're good. Oh, there you go. Okay. Sorry, you oh, froze yeah. up for a second. I wasn't sure if you were still here. Uh, retrieve an item. That, yeah, the MacGuffin. Uh, um, the MacGuffin is always a good if one. You, if you can, if you can make it personal in some way, I'm a big fan of having um, a variety of them. So having disparate, rather than give all of the players in a one shot um a singular reason as to why they're going in the dungeon dell because you might start just right at the precipice of the mm-hmm. dungeon i think it's good to kind of give them different reasons maybe a couple of the characters know each other maybe they have the same reason but but maybe one is here to recover something that's lost maybe maybe another one is here to avenge somebody has a particular grudge against one kind of monster. And so they all have different reasons for being in the dungeon, but they all have the common reason of like wanting to go into the dungeon. One wants to kill the big bad. One wants to rescue someone who disappeared or find somebody who disappeared. Another one needs to recover some item that was stolen in a, in a raid. Another one is trying to like, establish a reputation for his tribe or his 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 guild or something and so they all have kind of differing reasons for being there and so they kind of end up being like this motley bunch where you're not you're because you're giving them their class and everything and laid out and the reason for being there what that does is it allows for them to forge their own interparty dynamic how do they you know, maybe they don't know each other one another they don't know one another and you're telling them here's your class and here's your reason but what you're not telling them is how to interact with the other party members and i think often those interactions are the most interesting especially if you're going to have a dungeon where there's not likely to be a ton of role playing Mm -hmm. and social encounters maybe you throw one or two in there someone's lost and looking for the party's help or something like that but yeah it's like a hostile area there's likely to be more monsters traps and puzzles than anything um, so that inner party dynamic allows them to have that creativity to kind of, you know, uh, flesh out some of the character's personality without getting too deep into their backstory. I love telling players like, well, do I like, um, like, have I like known any of these like characters prior to uh, the adventure? And I'm just going like, I don't know. Have you? <laughs> yeah. You know, talk to. Try talking to one of the other characters like you know them and just see what they do. <laughs> that would be, fun, be, right? be a That's lot really of fun. fun. Like, yeah, it's really fun inter-party dynamic. Just like being like, oh, yeah, that was like kind of like this time before. Like, 
you know, because, you know, we hail from this area, like it's good. And like, just see if they mm-hmm. run with it, see if they, or see if they don't being like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Like being in character and allowing them to suss out those inner party dynamics, which kind of would include an, an otherwise disparate reasons. You give everybody the same reason. It might seem a little too uh, mm-hmm. pigeonholed because you're giving them their class, their reason they're there, what their relationships are. You're such and such a sister and you're lovers with this guy and this guy is an old friend of yours. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, where's the, where's my ability to kind of bring something unique to this, this character and this adventure. And I think for me, that's where it lies. Does it lie somewhere else for you? Nope. Nope. But I want to know, because I just want to know how well you are ready if this ever had to happen. So we're going to say you are more, you are way more D and D than anything else right now. You've run plenty of stuff in the past, but say a couple guys in the party right now, or a couple in the group right now, let's just say Mike, Chris Mm -hmm. and Beto, you know, came up in there just like, Hey man, you know, you and Matt used to talk about playing vampire back in the day. Would you ever run just like a one shot for us? And if that happened, what do you think you would do for a one shot in like vampire where it's a little bit more narrative? Um, I had a problem with this myself because I thought, wow, running a one shot of vampire. Yeah, that one's, that one's tough. I would probably approach it in the way that I would write a short story. I would just write a short story that I would write a plot that could be resolved in one or two Mm -hmm. sessions. Of like three to four. Yeah, hours. I think that is one vampire. You just could you could not do a a true one shot. I think that would be that'd be a couple. I think you could if if you kept the blinders on, like you didn't allow the players to kind of view the entirety of the world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the world of darkness is is vast. So what you do is you put the players' blinders on, and this uh, think of the first. Think of Interview with a Vampire. You ever mm-hmm. read that or yeah. see that? So you know when you read Interview with a Vampire, you see the movie. It's Lestat, Louis, and Armand, and the, the focus is on them. And it isn't until you read a second book in the series that you know, like, no, no, there are, like, vampires all over the place. And there's a whole world of yeah. them and a whole subculture of them. I think that's the way you would run a VTM one-shot, is that keep the players focused narrowly on a set of circumstances that rely upon them not being aware of the entirety of the outside political structure of the world of darkness. And you can keep it narrowly focused. And then at the very last end of the session, you hint at that. You hint that that is good. And then you go, and then if they want to continue on, like, you know, it's the whole, there's more to the story. Like you dig at the layers. So you would probably have to do something like set it in a small town mm-hmm. where there's not a lot of like political structure. Keep the the narrative focused just on the characters and the and the interpersonal drama. You know, they'd have to be new vampires, so they wouldn't be aware of like, you know, so maybe it's one character and then their sire, and then they found this other third character who they encounter in this town and and there's this whole narrative and conflict that that plays into that totally irrespective of the 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 Camarilla and the whatever that whole yeah. structure you have to keep you'd have to keep that out of it and keep it focused just on the characters and then let and allude to the fact that like oh wait no maybe there's like this this whole giant vampire world out there and you tease that at the end without giving them and and then if they wanted to go back to it then that would be the segue into a larger campaign or a chronicle call it god damn fucking i try to trip him up listeners but he just he comes out swinging <laughs> god damn that's good oh i didn't even think about that that's that is fucking real good chipping away at what the the game actually is at the very end oh now that never mind that is that is a true one shot right there it at the very end could be good now maybe 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 we'll oh run my it. god maybe that me you yeah that because that is that's who, really who good be, you me you chris and probably yeah. beto mike and mike and patrick really aren't so much with the no nah. but like the three of us could probably do it chris would be fucking great at that because he's yeah. an actor yeah i would hey i'd be down now now you got me interested but i think that's what we're gonna call it uh the end of the show for this week 
uh, let us know. Uh, what is your guys' thoughts on one-shots? How do you prepare your one-shots? Are you con-goers uh, running shit at cons? Or do you just do it for your players? Maybe you got a little RPG club. We would love to hear about it. Send it to InsideTheGMStudio at gmail.com. But for this week, I have been your host, Matt. I am David. A good night.